Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 80 of the Marathon Running Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to make the best use of your running watch. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome back to our podcast my name is letty for those of you that are new and i'm the host along with my husband ryan who is mia today we do a weekly podcast on all things running we try to be super motivational by sharing stories by very inspiring runners And we bring you information when it comes to training, such as training load, nutrition, mechanics, all that good stuff. And today we're going to talk about how to maximize the use with your running watch, meaning that you have a watch and it has all these features. So today we want to help you understand and decipher what all these features are, what they mean, how much they mean, and what you can do. So before we go there and do all that, I wanted to give you guys the backstory of how we came up with the topic of this podcast. So basically, I had an Apple Watch since 2018. I loved it, although I've never really used it as a smartwatch. The main feature that I used two to three times a day was the Find My Phone button, which basically helps you find your iPhone if you misplace it somewhere in the house, which always happens to me. And then I just used it for running. I got my paces, time, distance, and heart rate, and I was a happy camper. So after I found out that Garmin watches can find your phone too, I looked at three different Garmins out of the thousands of Garmins that are out there. And I then figured out that I wanted a forerunner because forerunners are forerunners and they have distinct features such as training zones, race predictions, recovery suggestions, performance conditions, and some other features depending on how much money you want to spend on a watch. The watch I use is a Garmin Forerunner 245 Music, which has the music option on it. But today's information is going to probably apply to all running watches because they all have similar terminology, names, features. And this podcast is just to help you figure out what to do with all that data. So we're going to start with terminology because we're going to have an interview with a person that's going to reference to some of the words that maybe some of us don't know. I'm going to start with the heart rate max, abbreviated as HR max, and that's basically the highest number of times your heart will beat in a minute when you're going all out at your most intense workout level. This number is important because that'll dictate the range for all the other zones in your heart rate statistics that you see when you're done running. Which that leads us into the heart rate zones. Those are the different zones which you're training in. So for example, there's a different zone for an easy run. There's a different zone for 
a recovery run, there is a different zone for an aerobic run, there's a different zone for a threshold run, and then there's the maximum aerobic run. So Garmin has five training zones and other watches have different amounts of training zones, I think anything between five and seven. And the value of those training zones is that, you know, as a runner, not all runs are supposed to be run at the same time or pace. So when you have an easy run, you want to make sure that you're running easy enough, which you can see after your run or during your run when you look at your heart rate and see if you've hit that correct training zone for your run, because you don't want to go too fast or too slow. Okay, so a couple more. Next is the VO2 max, which sounds complicated, but basically what it is, it's your body's ability to consume oxygen. So that one is important because the higher your VO2 max is, the better your body can deliver oxygen to your muscles and help you run longer and harder. So when you get fitter, your VO2 max will increase a little bit, but this is obviously just very basic information. Another metric that you may find on your watch is your lactate threshold, which is usually for experienced runners at about 90% of your maximum heart rate or a little bit less for non-experienced runners. And that's basically so you can personalize your training zones. Some other basic features your watch will have is your training status, which tells you whether or not you are productive, analyzing your training load and considering your VO2 max. And then also you'll have your heart rate, which allows you to find your resting heart rate and your higher heart rate. Then you have a body battery, which analyzes how much you recharge during sleep. Then you have a stress tester. You have your step counters, calorie measures, and, um, you know, a lot more stuff, respiration, etc. All of that gets taken into consideration when your Garmin makes decisions and tells you what you should or should not be doing. So, and that's where it gets really interesting because then we wonder how accurate is all that data? How accurate is the information that we have here? So I consulted with Nick Jankowskis, who's a scientist and he specializes in endurance sports with that information. So we asked them all the questions. Basically, what are the Garmin zones? We asked him about the resting heart rate, the max heart rate. We talked about the algorithms of Garmin, the accuracy of race predictions, which we see on some of the watches that give you a time of what the watch thinks you can do for a 5K or a marathon. We talked to him about the suggestions of recovery because sometimes the watch will tell you that you need 36 hours of rest. We also talked about the performance condition, which is a number that pops up when you start running. What does that score mean? And some more stuff. So without any further ado, I'm now going to play my conversation with Nick. All right. So I'm here with Nick Jankowskis. Nick, thank you so much for joining me today. No worries. Thanks for me uh, on the podcast. Yes. And so I want to start by introducing you or have you introduced yourself because you seem to be um, pretty big on YouTube with knowing things such as Garmin data and all that stuff that we want to hop into tonight. So could you perhaps do that? Yeah. So uh, I guess a, a bit of background is um, I'm a sports scientist by by trade. That's what I do. So um, having studied my undergrad degree in, in a Bachelor of Exercise and Sports Science and then recently uh, this year finished my Master's in High Performance Sport. Um, 
I work primarily with endurance athletes uh, as a focus. So we have our own physiology testing facility uh, in Melbourne, Australia. So um, at Mets Performance, if you want to go check out, check out our stuff over there as well. Um, we, we do VO2 max testing, blood lactate analysis, and really understanding athletes from a what's their physiology doing to then be able to make some really smart decisions from a training perspective or, or aid their coaches or aid the direction they're going to help them improve, which is largely largely amateur and, and sort of serious um, age grouper type athletes where they're marathon runners, triathletes, um, cyclists, but also we do service a number of professional and elite athletes as well. Uh, and that's really sort of where the, the YouTube thing kicked off was just a, a little bit of a side project through some of the the COVID lockdowns last year, uh, we got them pretty bad in, in Melbourne in terms of being stuck at home. So um, sort of made a few videos, put them up on YouTube and and sort of we're here sort of 18 months later um, with a hopefully a really great growing community over on YouTube and, and hopefully some some useful information up there in some of those videos as well. So that's a, a little bit of a little bit of a brief history uh, of sort of what I do. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the introduction. And um, I can attest to this being super helpful because I have looked at quite a few of your videos. So I, like I told you off air, I got myself a Garmin Forerunner and I absolutely love it. I came from an Apple Watch for running to suddenly this influx of all this data. So, you know, the more you play with it, the more questions I feel like arise. So I don't even know where to start. Do you think it'd be a good point to start with the training zones of Garmin to basically just kind of go through what all this stuff means and how much weight we should put onto interpreting it. Yeah, I think I think using using any any device, whether it is a, a Garmin or like you mentioned, Apple Watch or Polar or whichever brand you're using, I mean all of these um all these different companies can have slightly different ways of interpreting the data. But I think a, a really important point, particularly to then lead into something like training zones is at the end of the day, a lot like physiology for the most part, like yes, there's a lot of individuality to different people, our different training histories, what we do, what our genetics are like. But fundamentally, a lot of these things that a lot of these metrics are based off or, or training zones are based off are the same principles of our physiology. And, and those really being where's your lactate threshold, where's your VO2 max. Um, and then ideally, we, we have another point that, that's slightly lower that's um, uh, that really is the top end of your, I guess, long, slow running, your base Ks, your zone two, whatever you like to call it. They're really the three points that underpin kind of everything when it comes to a lot of these metrics and, and the interaction then of all the data you're collecting throughout your training sessions then sort of makes it up. So I think that's probably a, a, a good place to then look at, well, from a training zones perspective, um, if you are particularly, as you mentioned, transferring between devices or, or looking at different ones, I think understanding what's what is being presented to you in in those metrics? So, for example, with Garmin, they use a five-zone system. If you go to a different brand and they use a seven-zone system, it, it's not different, completely different information. It's just a different way of presenting the same stuff that we know. So I think that's a really important point to first, whichever device you've got, really be clear on what, what do these zones mean or what does this performance metric mean? Um, and, and that's that's going to then tell you a lot about, okay, if I've transferred from Apple Watch and, and I had, a, let's say, a six-zone system, we use as an example, and then we move to a five-zone system on a Garmin, I just need to make my adjustment in my training sessions to know I'm still doing the same thing I was trying to do or my intention's still the same. It's just being recorded uh, in that new device in a slightly different way or where can I find that data uh, at the end. So I think that's a really important one to, to sort of start with. And then, I mean, from a if you want me to go straight into to the Garmin training zones, I think they're they're pretty 
reasonably well laid out for the most part for majority of endurance athletes. I think they cover cover everything in a, in a fairly simplistic way. Um, I, I mean, overall, if we're looking at what those typical zones are, um, really their five zone system is a zone one, which they they generally class as like a warm up, which fundamentally can be seen as also a bit of active recovery as well. Very very low intensity. Um, you sort of just getting some blood flow happening really. And, and as the name suggests, just trying to get yourself ready, warmed up for a session. Zone two and zone three are kind of your, you then you really, I guess the bulk of majority of what endurance is about is your long, slow, building some Ks into the legs, particularly from a running perspective, really more critical for the longer distance stuff. So as you get through to 10K, half marathon, marathon, the ultra athletes, obviously really important. But your zone two is the, the easy easy version of those base base case uh, type sessions. So really just cruising along. And then the zone three is a bit more of, I want to challenge myself a little bit today, but I'm still well within that physiological um, golden area, if you like, of developing good aerobic capacity, developing some good aerob- um, uh, overall aerobic ability, improving your muscular endurance as well. Um, and usually those two zones combined will, will sort of get you at the top of that zone three, will get you somewhere around about 85% of your heart rate max, which is is a pretty is a pretty good guide for anything less than 85% of your heart rate max is, is a pretty safe bet for it's going to be a nice, easy, long run. Um, and that's ultimately what we want in, in those spaces. Um, zone four threshold is, I guess, the, the classic runner's zone. When a lot of people talk about grey zone, it's um, it, this is the one we're talking about. It's not quite easy enough to get that really good bottom end work. It's not quite hard enough to get the uh, the really top end, boost up the top of your VO2 max, improve your aerobic power, but it's really race specific. So if you're a 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon runner, any of these events, you're going to want to do some work in this in this zone four threshold leading into your event. It doesn't mean there's, there's not any benefit to it, but there's, it's the major benefit is tuning up for a particular purpose rather than developing out more general aerobic qualities. Um, so this is where you're going to find your tempo running. This is where you're going to find your, your like your, your top end of your one K repeats are probably going to sit somewhere, somewhere in here um, with short recoveries, maybe more extensive stuff. So if you're doing any like 10 minute or eight minute efforts, you're also going to fall within this, this zone four. And then ultimately anything above that really is everything fundamentally from above your lactate threshold uh, is this zone five, what they term maximum. I mean, you could term it any any, any number of different terms, but it, it's all just meaning pretty much you're working almost as hard as you possibly can. Um, at that point, it's almost irrelevant where your heart rate gets to as well from a zone five perspective, because at that point, heart rate's just trying to increase to increase the option supply to a ever-increasing option demand. But we know when we're working at those really hard intensities, you're going to fatigue a lot quicker. So we're probably not going to catch up and, and achieve that steady state, which is basically heart rate just, just leveling off. Heart rate's just going to be on the rise. So in that maximum zone, it's almost, you're just looking at, I guess, a bit of time accumulated there sometimes, but it's almost irrelevant in terms of where your heart rate gets to because it will just keep going up as long as intensity can increase. So hopefully that's given a bit of an overview of the Garmin side of things and then a bit of background too. But like I said, the, the main things here is, the zones work off the same, I mean, uh, at the same physiological markers in terms of what I prescribe to athletes um, and, and work off in our lab. We use a five-zone system, but we just define them slightly differently. But at the end of the day, we, we're getting the same information. It's just then distributing that in a format that makes more sense to us and maybe makes more sense to our athletes. We sometimes change it to a three-zone system. We sometimes change it to a seven. I've seen as high as 11-zone systems. Um, it, it's all just what then makes sense uh, to you. But... Uh, 
fundamentally knowing that it's going to be all based on the same information. Okay, perfect. So you've answered a lot of my questions because, um, you know, when I did have my Apple Watch, I didn't have any of that stuff, or at least I didn't know where to find it. So this is, um, I'm pretty new at looking at those zones and training plans online prescribe you certain mileage to be in aerobic versus, you know, hard effort and easy miles. So for easy, you said just to reiterate, easy is zone two, and then the aerobic ones is zone three, supposedly, hopefully. Otherwise, you're running too fast. Or you could have your settings wrong. Is that something too? Because I've heard somewhere online that you can reset your own information into the Garmin for it to be accurate according to you. So is that something that we should do? Should we go into the user settings and put in our resting and max heart rate or should we not do that? Yeah, I, I would I would say the, be the best thing you can do when you're setting up your, like if you're getting a, a new Garmin and, and you're setting it up is go in and put in what your maximum heart rate can get to. Um, it, particularly if you're basing, because there's a number of different ways Garmin will allow you to base those zones. So the common the common methodologies are we can base it off a percentage of maximum heart rate, or we can base it on a percentage of our lactate threshold heart rate. I would typically prefer and recommend if you are going to use uh, a calculate when I say a calculated set of zones where we're putting in one number like maximum heart rate, for example. And it's going to it's going to predict based on percentages of that the rest of the zones. I would prefer maximum heart rate or recommend maximum heart rate. So I'd say it, the easiest the, the easiest thing is like I said, get your maximum heart rate. And if you're wondering how you can do that, chuck on chuck on your watch, chuck on your heart rate strap, warm yourself up, and just go as hard and as fast as you can for about four minutes. That that that's probably the easiest way to work out what your maximum heart rate is. You've got to be pretty motivated to push yourself as hard as you can. But that, and by no means do you have to make the four minutes. If you blow up before that, that's okay. But we're just looking at, well, where does your heart rate get to as a peak in that? That's probably going to give you a more accurate indication because otherwise we end up working off things like 220 minus your age. And for the most part, and most, most amateur runners or even a lot of runners in general, regardless of the level you're at, probably already know intuitively that if they did 220 minus your age to work out maximum heart rate, it's going to throw their numbers all over the place compared to what they actually do. Um, and the reason for that is, that, I mean, it's it's a it's a rough estimate for a portion of the population and the portion of the general population. But if we look at most people who engage in running or cycling, a triathlon, or some form of activity that's above the the norm, if we go, if you're involved in a training program, you're you're now not necessarily considered general population. You're probably actually more of a, what we call an athletic population. Perfect. So I'm just going to reiterate that for our users. So then once your watch tells you what your maximum heart rate is, then you take your resting heart rate, which you know from your device because you wear it at nighttime. And then you can hop online to one of those websites that calculate your heart rate zones. And then you go to your Garmin, I, the Garmin Connect. And then there you go to user settings and then you go to zones. And then in there, you can input the correct zones for whatever is accurate for you. Is that how you do that? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. And like I said, how, it, how I guess, advanced or simple you want to make it, you, you can literally just put in that maximum heart rate. But yeah, you can go in and put, um, put your resting heart rate. You can go and do a, a different calculation if you want to work off a slightly different percentage. I mean, I just opened up then my, my zones and I think the top of my zone three is actually at 88% currently, which is just the, the adjustment Garmin's made over my last little while. But um, usually that's somewhere around 85. So you might, you might want to go and make some little tweaks based on... Um, 
if you've been doing some reading or you've looked at some articles or, or spoken to a coach and they want to use slightly different percentages, you can then manually put each of those numbers in. But I think, yeah, like you said, as a baseline, get your get your resting heart rate, get your maximum heart rate, put those in. And, and if if that's what you then use to then f- formulate the rest of those numbers, you, you're probably one step ahead of just allowing the watch to kind of guess a little bit um, from the outset. All right. So let's move on to another Garmin Forerunner feature, which is the race predictions. So the Garmin for our listeners that are not paying attention to their Garmin's or have a different watch, it gives you a 5K, 10K, half marathon and full marathon prediction time. Um, So basically those are numbers. And my questions are as follows. A, are those numbers the best possible future predictions that Garmin can see running, you know, six months down the line? Or is that something um, that is supposed to be happening now? And my second question, question B, is if anything, how accurate are those numbers actually? And what can we take away from those numbers? Yeah, I think this is this is always a, a point of a good laugh when I get <laughs> athletes and clients come into the come into the lab and we talk about what the data is <laughs> doing and they they show us race race prediction information and we do, we always have a bit of a chuckle about it because for the most part majority of people I think would agree that have used the race predictors or looked at it they do have a very idealistic look <laughs> at what a lot of us could maybe achieve over particular distances I think especially. I mean, by no means am I a uh, marathon runner, but I think the last time I looked, it, it said I could do like a two hour, two and a half hour marathon. And I went, no, definitely not. Um, it, it, I mean, the, it, again, it, we're looking anytime we predict something, it's 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 trying to make an educated guess. But I think the, the important thing with any prediction, and this carries across really everything in sports performance, anytime we try to predict, there's always a variable that makes it impossible to predict and what i mean by that is from a from a race predictive perspective on your garment effectively it's going to take all of your training data and build build a bit of an athlete profile and go what is what does this person typically achieve over these uh, these amounts of distances whether it's kilometers or miles and what are their typical heart rates and and where does that fit in with the rest of their physiology and it sort of just maps everything out and goes based on that we know the typical marathon runner who fits this same age gender um, weight characteristics, their their heart rate data, and all of that puts it all together and goes. The typical person would probably sit at this percentage of their like this percentage of their total aerobic engine, and so that would lead to an output of whatever it is for that particular distance. Again, it's very idealistic look because we're just looking at well that that isolated condition that the, that that data might be coming from is then being put into effectively if you went and ran on an indoor track where there's no wind that you've got perfect heat control. There's no influence of your nutritional strategies. There's no influence of your hydration strategy. There's no influence of elevation change. There's no influence of, of changing surfaces. I mean, a 10K on a trail is much different to a 10K on, on the road or a 10K on the track as well. So all of these, I guess, complex factors that an algorithm like this just can't predict for. I mean, there's so much else that goes into it. And the longer we go, I think generally from at least my experience, generally the five and 10 are a lot closer um, in terms of predicting than something like the half and the full marathon distance. The longer you go, the harder it again gets to predict because all of these factors then start to compound. I mean, particularly if you're, I mean, if, if you're, if you're one of the 
genetically gifted of the world who can run a two hour 10 marathon for example like perfect like that that but that's a very different race to maybe the amateur is doing their first marathon who might do a four and a half hour marathon well now we've got completely different physiological conditions so the predictor on that is is going to start to lose a lot of accuracy very quickly because of those compounding factors that you cannot necessarily control for some things you can but i can't i can't tell the race director to build me a flat course that's going to have perfectly protected from the wind and uh, I'd, I'd like 17 degrees and and a nice or maybe and maybe a light, nice little sort of light cool breeze to, to to give me a bit of a tailwind like those things you can't control for and that's where the race predictor is going to be out so i, I would use it as an in, as an indicator probably more so for the shorter stuff it'll give you a, an okay an okay or a reasonable idea keep in mind it is probably more of an idealistic view of what you might be able to do best way to find out though is just go and do one of those events i mean th- that's going to tell you where you're at ultimately and the, the more practice you get at those events the, the better you do get um overall but yeah again it's one of those ones that anytime you try to predict and it goes like i said it goes for other other variables too like anytime you try and predict injury that's probably the big one that that happens in a sports science sense is a lot of people in the sports science field have tried and tried to model injury prediction patterns and things like that it, it just doesn't work yeah, I mean, you, you could you could rock up to a race and be feeling horrible for the six weeks prior, but all of a sudden you get three k's into your marathon, you're like, no, I'd actually feel good today. Like I'm starting to, it's starting to come together, and all of a sudden you just outperform race predictor. Well, so so be it. It could also work the other way. So predictions are always hard. Right, right. I mean, I I have to say that that's one of my favorite features. It's kind of like your mom. It's like a nice encouraging believer in you. <laughs> And, and yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things, like if you look at it from a perspective of here's, here's the numbers it's predicting, even if I if I view those and go, yeah, look, that's probably a bit out of reach. Like I said, it, it gives you that sort of aspiration, you know, well, why can't I push myself to try and get there? But at least over time, even if it is significantly over predicting, if you see that race predictor for those, all those dif- distances slowly, um, I guess, represent faster times across those, and you're noticing that you're getting a bit quicker, even if you can't then execute on that time because it is a bit out of reach for whatever reason, if it's overestimated, at least that's going to give you an indication of progression. So I, I'd probably more look at it in the sense of like, how are those trending? Is your race predictor like looking like you're getting slower in theory or is it looking like you're getting a bit quicker? That's a good method of uh, perspective, trying to use it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming that's kind of the same with the recovery suggestions because the Garmin doesn't really know your body and doesn't know you, doesn't know if you have kids, if you have um, children that wake you up or if you're having a night shift job. Um, I'm assuming the recovery is also a loose suggestion. Yeah, definitely. Like the fatigue fatigue and recovery, the interesting relationship with that is that it's not purely physiological and you hit the nail on the head there with Garmin has no idea what what we all what we all do for the for the vast majority of us it's we like we love to we love to go out and train and we love to think we're athletes in our own right but at the end of the day we you might work nine to five yeah if you've got kids or if you've got other other responsibilities outside of that um how like how can you fit your training in and around all that the time of day you normally train and do you have to train after a long work day most of the time like all of these factors all that external and and also I guess more psychological fatigue that's involved. All the subjective measures aren't aren't being included, and that's where yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great indication of, relatively speaking, 
all right, did I have a harder session today and, and maybe use it as a as a start, a talking point for yourself or, or a starting point to go, all right, maybe I do need to have a bit more recovery because that, that was a tough session and Garmin's sort of reflecting that compared to normal. But also you have to keep in mind that that number isn't the number of hours between, like you can't, you can't, like if you get 24 hours, it's not, you cannot train for another 24 hours. It's probably wouldn't suggest doing another hard session for 24 hours. That's the definition of it, um, which then changes that metric again. Because if I go out and do, like I'm going to go out and head, head out and do some some intervals this afternoon. But if I go into a hard session, it tells me, yeah, 17 hours. Well, I'm still probably going to jump on the, maybe jump on the bike and do an easy session tomorrow. I still might do a, an easy run. Like I can I can do those sessions, but I probably wouldn't back it up and do another interval session within that time. So understanding metric first, but you're right. I, I think use it as a bit of a, a bit of a guide, but then use it as a bit of a conversation started with yourself to go, yeah, do I need the do I need the extra coverage today? Am I overly fatigued compared to normal? Or was this a much bigger, harder session than than I would typically do or have done before in the last few days? That's probably the most appropriate use of it. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, it's it's really amazing how much that watch actually can know data-wise, right? Because it knows how much you sleep and knows how much you are awake. Yeah. And I think, like, like I said, with any with any metric like that, it's like, particularly from, a, if we're looking at any metric that is looking at fatigue and recovery, you've you got to have the balance between the objective and the subjective. What I mean by that is the objective is, yeah, the, the data that it collects. I mean, Garmin at the end of the day is is a set like it's giving us a set of objective measures it is this this is what this is what happened it is the best way i can describe it so it's over 10k what was my average pace or what what did occur over that hour hours worth of running or what did occur during that sleep but as, as you as you mentioned right at the beginning of this this little part it's like well how did i feel through that i'm i might have i might have had a a, a really really good one hour run where i've run 30 seconds per kilometer faster on average as a pace. And I feel absolutely amazing. It was much easier in terms of um, like just rating a perceived exertion. I felt like it was a four out of 10 where it usually would be a six out of 10. Garmin's going, hey, <laughs> you worked hard today, probably need some extra recovery. If you're feeling amazing. You're like, actually, that was actually a lot easier because I feel like I've adapted. I, I feel like I've had some, uh, I've gained a little bit uh, on my training over the last little while that's synthesizing that information together brings the subjective with the objective and that's how you're going to get the best the best influence at the end of the day a lot of the research actually says the gold the gold standard for monitoring fatigue is actually fundamentally things like rpe your subjective data because uh, like ultimately yeah the it's the context behind those numbers well okay yeah you outperform but was that much harder than normal or was it much easier than normal only i guess you are going to be able to interpret that Right, right, yeah. So another item I wanted to ask you about was when I start running and I turn on my running watch, probably 0.75 miles, um, a little more than a kilometer into my run, there is a pop-up on my watch and it's called something like performance conditions and it gives me a positive or a negative score. What is that and what does it mean? <laughs> Yeah, performance conditions are really a really interesting one. Performance condition is kind of like the real time version of that, um, a, a bit of that recovery time metric in, in some regards. So, what performance condition is, and it will come up generally. I think Garmin says it's somewhere between the 
first five and 20 minutes, usually of the session. Um, often it's within the first, yeah, 1K, one mile type, type area, that first five, 10 minutes. It's a, it's a score between negative 20 and positive 20, essentially, with zero representing effectively your, your baseline. So anytime you score a zero, um, basically all that means is that for the initial part of your session, you are performing as expected based on your previous data. Like that, that's, that's kind of what it means. It's like you, there is no change. This, like if you did the same session every week over four weeks, that, that session in week four, if you got a score of zero, it's like, well, you're probably performing as we expected you would compared to your average. If you get a positive score, that generally means, well, you're probably outperforming in a, in a really good way. If you get a negative score, all right, maybe we're underperforming for what we can do. In terms of the actual, what the number means, like is higher better? Well, a positive 20 ultimately is going to be much better than say a positive five or even a negative five and, and so on. So we do want that to be in the positive. And that actually number is it then starts to get into an interesting component in terms of Garmin sort of say that one point on that scale is approximately equivalent of about 1% of your, your Garmin's VO2 max. So you could effectively think of that as if I had a score of plus three or plus five mid, as I started my run, if my VO2 max in my Garmin was say 50 as, as a VO2 max score, we'll use some examples, that would, that would be assuming I'm performing at the equivalent of my VO2 max of 50 plus another 5% or plus another 3%. So I'm outperforming um, and vice versa. So what, what that sort of, I guess we can take from that is I sort of look at it as a bit of a readiness score. So when that pops up on my watch, um, what I mean by that is if I'm going out for a run, usually it pops up at the start and I go, all right, what does it say today? Okay, it says plus seven. Yeah, you know what? I And, and then I sort of do that check-in like I was just mentioning with recovery time. And this is how they sort of link is like, I do that check-in with myself and go, how do I actually feel today? Do I feel like a plus seven? Like, do I feel like I'm outperforming what I normally am? And do I feel ready to ready to outperform what I normally do? That little question is difficult to sort of answer sometimes at the start because you're like, well, I haven't really settled into my run yet. But it's one to keep in the back of your mind that I, I actually did this the, uh, the other week. I was doing an interval session, had a look. I think it said plus three. I went into that session. I got halfway through and went, you know what? I actually am going a little bit quicker than I normally would today. And I do feel I do feel good. And if anything, it was a bit of a confidence booster for me. Sometimes when I see, say like I've seen, I've seen it like a negative 10 before on days where I felt really fatigued and I've gone out there, I've started doing my long, slow run, just going, oh, I just need to get something done today. I'm not really fussed about pushing the pace. I just want to get out there and do a run. I've looked and watched and it says like, yeah, negative 10 or whatever it is. And I'm like, you know what? That probably accurately reflects where I'm at, and I don't. I don't really mind because I'm just going to go easy today, and I'm I'm going to cut my losses. Maybe I'll cut the run short, um, just so I don't further fatigue myself for for no reason. Um, and so ultimately, that's that's kind of what readiness is. It's it's giving you a an insight of effectively how fresh and ready are you to go, and how are you likely to be performing compared to your baseline. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's a. Uh... Again, super great information. And thank you so much for giving us all that about um, those numbers and explaining to us what they can mean and where they all come from. We really appreciate it. No, that's, that's all right. That's, uh, it's like we, like we sort of said, it's, there's a lot of information sometimes that comes through, but um, half the battle is just knowing how to sort of how to interpret it because you, you can have all the numbers you like, but if there's no sort of context behind them, they don't, they don't sort of mean too much. Yes. Um, the grand scheme of things. So happy to help. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so for people that want to know more, I want you to um, direct them to wherever you put your information out there. I know I talked about your YouTube channel and you have also an Instagram account. Can you let people know where they can find you so they can have access to that wonderful information if they need to know more? Yeah, so um, e- easiest way if you want to look up any of the stuff on on YouTube, um, I'm sure my my name will be in the description of the the episode somewhere. Easiest way to do it is copy and paste my name because it is a bit of a, a tricky one to to remember how to spell. But uh, yeah, copy and paste it. It's just Nick Jankovskis on YouTube. Um, pretty pretty sort of easy to find there. Um, Instagram at nj underscore sports science um, is the the Instagram handle, and then anything we do over at uh, our lab as well. Um, I'll give a shout out to, to Mets Performance. You can find you can find that page through my Instagram as well, because um, I do post a bit on there, and and we've got some other info that that's more our our lab side of things. Um, but yeah, there are plenty plenty of places that you can you can go check out some extra stuff um, uh, on there as well. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully, got a got a bit out of it, and uh, yeah, look forward to seeing the the rest of the podcast episodes as they as they come out and following it a bit closer. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks again, Nick, for coming on and speaking with us and making things a lot more clear or maybe a lot more confusing because now we know that there's a lot more data on these watches than we knew. But I guess what we can take from this conversation is that everything has to be taken with a grain of salt. Everything is whatever the computers are now able to do at this point in time. And we can look at it as suggestions and just kind of play around with it and see how accurate we think our garments are as technology advances. Who knows, maybe 10 years from now, we'll have a completely different conversation because the watches will know our bodies better than we do. Anyway, so that's it for today. If you have any questions about Garmin Forerunners specifically, you can shoot me a message because the information is still very new in my head. I've done a ton of research on different brands and what do all these numbers mean, which Garmin is the best fit for you. Um, I can try to help you with it. But if you listen to this podcast from November of 21 in six months from now, a lot of things will have changed and I'll have forgotten all that information. So if you have any questions right now, send me a message. You can find me on Instagram at running podcast. And until next time. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.